are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Welcome to or welcome back to Where Your Treasure Is. We have just wrapped up season four, which has been all about conversations about money, how we should do them, why we should do them, and really what difference talking about money makes. And as is quite often our tradition with bonus episodes, we are going to have an interview today and an interview with someone who is perhaps a little bit closer to home than some of our guests have been. And... It's my great pleasure to announce that today's bonus episode guest, but not really guest, is our very own co-host, Simon. Hello, Bex, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, I thought this time I would make an exception and let you on, as you've asked so politely so many times. But today, rather than you just being here with your expert hat on and bringing your knowledge and wisdom, we're actually going to be talking a little bit more about your own personal journey with faith and finance. So, are you prepared? Uh, As prepared as I could ever be, I reckon. You've revised the subject? Uh, For the last 45 years, yes. Brilliant. I feel like we're now (laughs) on an episode of Mastermind, but your time starts now. So, Simon, what started your journey with generosity? It actually started many years ago. I can almost pinpoint exactly what happened, not quite when it was. I was about eight years old and my parents had recently divorced. My mum was looking after my sister and I and struggling to keep up the household bills. She had a job, but she needed a car to get to work and didn't have a car. And I remember somebody gave us a car. It was a blue Peugeot 204. That is quite embedded in my memory. But what happened next, I I couldn't say quite when or how it happened, but there were two abiding thoughts that stuck with me uh, and I still have. And, And the first one was this. Wow, there are people out there who are rich enough to own two cars. And then, wow, there are people out there who are generous enough to give one of those cars away. And they had given it to us. And that just blew me away. Now, of course, as an eight-year-old, I didn't have a lot of life experience, but the memory stuck. And at some point, I kind of made a deal with God or a commitment to God. And I said to him, you know what, God, one day I want to be one of those people who can afford and be generous enough to give a car away. And I started doing that just after my student years, I've tried to do it ever since, but I feel like that was the moment that set me on this track where one of my purposes in life is generosity, for want of a better word. And so you've had this formative experience as a child, something that's really gone on to shape you. And it'd be one thing to just transfer that like for like into giving cards away, which as it is, is a very generous thing to do. But how else did that experience shape your life? What happened next? I think the next bit was around my student years and trying to get to grips with what the Bible says about giving and quite specifically giving in the context of giving to the local church. By that point, I had already come to realize that I was quite good with numbers. My dad was an accountant by trade. I inherited some of his skills but didn't go down the accountancy route I was doing business management at university. 
And I wanted to understand what did the Bible say? What did the church teach about giving? And there's loads in there. We've spoken about it in the past on the podcast. And so I began my own personal journey of understanding Christian-based giving. When I got engaged and I was 21 years old and got married at 22, one of the very first conversations, those deep practical conversations that you have uh, maybe during your marriage preparation was about money and how two people coming from different backgrounds with different experiences were going to deal with the money that we one day hoped we would have because as students, we didn't have very much. And so we started off with this kind of commitment. Let's give 10% to begin with. We felt that was a good starting figure, but let's also try and give more each year, not just more because we were earning more, but more in terms of a higher percentage of our income as our income grew. And we were in careers that would hopefully give us increasing levels of income. So we were doing those two things. One was the regular, disciplined, deliberate, faith-based giving. One was the occasional, oh, we need to replace a car. Can we give one away? And interspersed with all of that were the heartfelt motivation, desires to give to charity, to give to friends, to give to family as we were able. So it sounds like to me at this point in your life, you were almost on a kind of precipice. You were journeying through what it looks like to be generous. What does that look like in the Bible? Your own personal circumstances were changing massively as you were preparing for marriage. And what does that look like to do all of this together? What did that look like in an employment context as you were coming towards the end of being a student and taking that next step? So the great thing about coming to the end of student years if you manage to find a job and I think we were fortunate in terms of when that happened it was relatively easy my wife was going straight into a career in medicine I managed to fall into a career in financial planning but we both had income our first house we could afford to buy it cost us 66,000 pounds for a two-bedroom flat just imagine that and we had two incomes and we actually had money left over and we look back on those days and think to ourselves what did we do with the money? We must have had plenty left over and we just did stuff with it. We don't know. We weren't that accountable. But we made the choice, let's give first, out of the first fruits, not give with what's left over. That made it much easier, actually, to build a discipline. We would live off what was left and what was left was enough. And then as our salaries grew and as our careers progressed into the future, we had more coming in, which meant even after we'd given to the church and to charity, we still had enough. Basically, you choose to live off what's left. It's much easier doing it that way, in my opinion, than having lots of income and then one day deciding, I am now going to start to give out of that. It's the same outcome, but it feels much more sacrificial. And sometimes I've had to think about that myself. Am I giving sacrificially? I want to give sacrificially, I want to give joyfully, but I'm doing okay. And I remind myself, well, I am giving. If I wasn't giving, all this money would still be mine to do things with that we could quite enjoy. And we've chosen not to. And we're okay with that. And just on a really practical, slight diversion, how do you personally know when you're giving sacrificially? What does that look like? What does that feel like? I think the easiest way to see it is almost by way of comparison with your peers. So I can compare myself to other people and think, you know what, 
I've got plenty more than they do even after I have given. So how could I be giving sacrificially? But then I look at people in my family or my neighbors or my friends who are kind of in the same position as us, but who are not Christians, don't go to church, and they're spending more on their houses or their cars or their holidays. And I think, I wonder how they do that. And then I realize, oh yeah, they do that because they don't give. All their money is just for themselves. And so rather than comparing myself in a jealous way, oh, I wish I had what they have. Actually, I have to be quite careful not to compare myself and let pride rise up. Oh, they must have more than I do because they don't give, aren't I good? It's a really tough balance, Bex. But the aim is to focus on who we're giving to, why we're giving, not so much how much. That's between us and God. I am an absolute believer in God's ability to give us back way more than we ever give to him. But we have to hold things lightly. That's where I think I learned a lot about giving away cars. Hold it lightly. Yes, we could trade the car in, buy ourselves a bigger car. But no, if we hold it lightly, if someone needs a car and we're about to get rid of one, great. They can take it off our hands. It saves them some money. And we will just buy what we can afford with what we have available at the time. That's a really practical framework and in very exciting news our next season is going to be all about giving so I have no doubt we'll continue to dive more into those topics both in terms of biblical framework and also what that actually looks like in reality. So why financial planning? Why did you decide to do that for your career Simon? It was totally accidental Bex. I had no intention of becoming a financial planner. I probably didn't even know what one was. But like I say, I was getting married and my wife and I were keen to buy a house together. We knew we'd be able to afford to with some help from the parents. And so we spoke to a friend in church. She was a financial advisor, a mortgage broker. And basically we said, hey, can you help us get a mortgage and some life insurance for our flat? Which she did. And right at the end of that process, we'd kind of filled in all the application forms. We knew what we were doing. We'd gone through all the affordability checks. Right, we were good to go. And she closed her folder and put it to one side and looked me in the eye and said, so Simon, what are you going to do when you leave university? And this was about three or four months before the end of my university career. And I gave her an absolute genius, classic, well thought out answer. Well, I said, I'm going to get a job. And that was about as far as I had managed to get in my university career of what happens next. So she turns to me and said, well, do you want to work for me? Yes. And that was basically it. She was looking for someone to come into her business to help support her. Clearly, she had some inkling that I got numbers and got money because my degree was related. And so I started working for her, not knowing at all what I was going into, but then discovering I really quite enjoyed it. I was learning in a different way, not just to get a degree. I was learning to progress a career, to help people out. And I enjoyed helping people out. And so I fell in, as to be honest, Bex, many, many people do. Certainly those who've been around 10, 15, 20 years in financial services, if not longer. You just fall into it and then you get stuck if you love it. I'm glad you added that if you love it caveat there and not you get stuck full stop. (laughs) And so you start this career almost by chance and... One day between that point and where you are now, you decide to start a business. What was the journey towards deciding to start a business for you? It's a long, long story of lots of ups and downs and ins and outs. But 
the shorter version goes something like this. I worked for three different financial advice or financial planning organizations before I started Stewardship Wealth. And in each case, and they were very different businesses with different styles of giving advice, different sizes, different ownership. But in each case, the point came where I realized the culture wasn't a good fit for my values and my purpose in life. And mostly what that meant was there was too much of a focus on selling rather than giving advice. I was not a good salesperson. To be honest, I'm still not a good salesperson, but I love giving people advice. The focus was on making money and sometimes unhealthily so. There were situations where what was more important was how much money can the company make rather than what is the right thing for the client to do to help them make money. And there were triggers along the way of, you know what, I don't want to be within this culture where it's all about selling and making money. Because I was telling my clients day in, day out, look, it's not about the money. Money is a tool that you use. I will help you work out when you've got enough, when you can afford to retire. Can you spend more time with your family? Can you look after your parents? Can you travel more and get experiences? But in the workplace, I was being told, Simon, you have to work more hours, see more clients, make more profit. We will pay you more money. And I realized I couldn't stay in that environment for the next 20 or 30 years. And by that point, I had built up enough of a, a reputation, I suppose. I was being referred to by quite a lot of my clients. And so I made the call after quite a lot of prompting from God, to be honest, to start my own business, which was a huge step from being employed insecure income, well-paid, to having technically no income. Got to start from scratch and hopefully it'll work out in the end. So many questions are going through my head all at the same time. I'll start with this one. So you were identifying a value clash between what you felt God was calling you to do and the way you wanted to conduct yourself versus what was being, I guess, imposed on you by that particular workplace. So what were those values? What are those values that form your business now? And in a really practical sense, how do those outwork so that you don't just look like another financial planning company, but actually look like the financial planning company that you were looking for at that point? I love when people ask me those kind of questions because it is only the values of Simon Glazier that become the values of stewardship wealth that make us different from any other financial planning firm out there. So I remember sitting in one of our church leadership conferences when one of our senior pastors was really talking about how as individuals within the church, not those employed by the church, the congregation members, how we can support some of the vision of church growth that we had to bring people into the church, to launch new church sites and new church congregations. So whether we're opening new congregations as part of our own church in Aberdeenshire or we're sending people out to go and start whole new churches. And she was giving a, a variety of suggestions of things that we could do. And then one of them was, she said, maybe God is asking you to start your own business. And in that moment, I tuned out. I don't remember what else she said because that comment got lodged in my brain. And over a period of probably two or three months, actually, different people were saying things about starting business. I was reading different books 
in which it was dropped in. Perhaps you could start a business that would help support the church and growth of the kingdom. And so I began almost wrestling with the idea, what would it look like for me to start my own business? I wasn't particularly ambitious. I didn't really want to start my own business. It meant all sorts of hassles and problems of having employees and dealing with regulations. But I couldn't get rid of the idea. And so I started that journey myself of, well, why would I do this? Why would my business be different? What are the values that I would bring to it? What are the goals I would try and achieve? And I eventually came down to what I was really happy with, three values and six big goals for the business. So I'll give you those. The three values were faith, family, and philanthropy. Although to be honest, it was for a long time, faith, family, and generosity, until one of my clients pointed out that philanthropy just scanned way better. So I was really chuffed with that. I wanted to run a business that had at least a grounding in the faith. It was based on biblical principles and it would support my faith and not detract from it. Family. I'd spent the last 10 years of my life at that point anyway, trying to be a good dad. And for us, that meant that I spent four days a week working and one day a week with the kids so that my wife could also have a career where she worked some days and spent some days with the kids. And that balance was really good, but it caused tension. My employers were not happy that I only offered them four days a week when they prefer to have six. So I wanted a business that would prioritize family as well. And then this idea of generosity, in reality, it was almost the prime motivator. If I could start a business, then maybe I could be even more generous. So yes, we'd started off many years ago with the idea of can we give 10%? And we'd done that. And it had crept up to 11% a year and 12%. And eventually we'd got to the point where we were giving away about 20% of our income a year. And it felt like we'd got to a peak. We couldn't keep going much higher without something changing in our lives. And what I realized was that I was limited by my ability to earn. I couldn't give away more than I earned. Well, I could, I give away all and then some more going to debt not good financial planning. But if I ran my own business, and if that business had other people working in it, then just perhaps I could give away ever more and actually one day give away more than I actually earned. So I then, within the framework of those three values, faith, family, and philanthropy, tried to pose myself the questions, well, what would this business do? What would make it different? And where I got to was, one, it would give money away, and I wanted to make sure it was a real commitment to give away. So long before the business had even started, before I'd even got my business plan drafted, I started with, as in business, I will do what I do in life. I will give away, to begin with, 10%. And we'll give away 10% of the top line, 10% of gross income. If I can't run a business and survive on 90%, then I don't need to do it. God's got a better plan for me. But if I can, I'll not give out a profit because profit you can manipulate. I can pay myself a big salary, there's less profit, I give less away. So no, give first. So I'll give 10% to begin with, at least 10%, hopefully more. And then I wanted to employ people. I wanted to give people the chance to come into financial planning as a career. So I'll bring them in, train them up. That's the third thing. Give them a chance to progress, get their own careers. Now this was all gearing up because at the time we were planting some new churches. And I could see the challenges that came with church planting, one of which was financial, absolutely, but the other was people. It's really hard to plant a church when there's just one or two of you going out. If you go as a team to a new location to start a new site, a new congregation, 
so much easier. So I had this daydream of one day, maybe I could bring people into financial planning, train them up, and then they would go with a church plant and they would go with my blessing. And if needs be, they would go with my clients. They would go with my income and they would start this church plant with a stream of income that would support the kingdom into the future. So we have a business that would give, that would employ, that would train, that would send. These are big visions, but then I had a bigger one. And the bigger one was this. The church needs a place to meet. And we were in a church environment that was hiring school halls and village halls and community centres. And at times it caused problems. You couldn't get the building when you wanted it. You couldn't use the building in the middle of the week. Wouldn't it be great if I could use this business to build a church, a church building, a place to meet? I wouldn't need it at the weekends. I could have this space where hundreds of people could meet and I could let the church use it for free. Or in fact, one day I could just give the church the building and I would rent it from them. I would have an office in there. They'd have a church. It would be this combined building with all sorts of things happening inside of it. Now, that has not happened yet, but it's still one of the big dreams that I have going forward. It's a vision. It's written into the, the core of the business. And then I have just one more. And it comes to the heart of one of the big problems of financial planning and running a small business, which is how do you become financially independent? Now, I'm going to be honest. Financial independence isn't a very Christian concept. We should always remain financially dependent on God. But in my career, I have to demonstrate to people the ability to achieve financial independence. And I have seen many people who say to me, I am financially independent. I'm going to sell my business and retire on the proceeds. And what that means is they are financially dependent on their business. And if they can't sell at the right time or they can't sell at the right price, then they can't do potentially what God is calling them to do in retirement. So I decided at the outset that I would extract myself from the problem, that I would never sell this business, that one day the aim is to give it away and ideally give it away to the church and that'll probably be through some kind of trust or charity entity and then I can walk away. I have funded my pension, I have put money into my ISIS, I have saved up, I am financially independent of my business, so much so that I'll give it away and somebody else can have it and run it and give all the profits, not just 10% of turnover, but everything to the church on an ongoing basis. Wow. I never get tired of hearing this story. And every time I think God just highlights different things and stirs up new thoughts. And so if hypothetically someone is listening to this and they are feeling stirred, they're seeing this compelling picture of a business that is kingdom-minded, that seeks to advance the kingdom of God in the area that they work in, what would you say to them? Where's the starting point? You still have to think in a very commercial way. People have approached me with ideas in the past around, wouldn't it be great if I did this for God? Great, that's brilliant. You could. How is your business plan? How are you going to finance it? Have you researched the regulations and the insurance? And they go, oh no, I just assumed that if I had an idea for God, it would work out. You could do that, but there's a very good chance you'll fall flat on your face. You still have to run a business. There are laws, there are regulations, there are taxes to pay. Yes, you can do it. And yes, you can run a kingdom business. And yes, you can attract great people to work for you and to work with you. But you're still running a business. So do it, but do it well. 
even just running this business is a huge witness in my peer community amongst other financial planners across the UK, amongst my clients, not all of whom are Christians and their friends who get referred to me because they hear you have a financial planner who gives money away to charity. That's brilliant. I want to hear more about it. So the business does have to be successful. I can't just depend on God to make it successful. I have to do a lot of hard work, have to make some tough choices. But in that, I can trust in him that he can provide, he can meet the needs, he can help me overcome some of the challenges. But first and foremost, it's a business and then it's a kingdom business. It would be very unfruitful if the business failed in a public way. So let's make it work and let's make it work for God. So good. Simon, this episode is your story. So is there anything else that you want to tell us, anything you want to impart before we wrap up this episode? My story is a bit not unique, but it's certainly not common. What I think anybody can take from this is that God can use them wherever they are with whatever skills they have, whatever time they have, whatever God has placed within them. He is calling us all to very different purposes. The reason I run this business is because God is calling me to be effectively a fundraiser for the kingdom. There are so many things that I just cannot do to help grow the kingdom. I'm not a great evangelist. I'm not a great preacher or teacher. I can't lead worship. All those things are really important in the kingdom. What I can do is make money. That is also important in the kingdom, but it's not the most important thing. So I see myself as a servant of a bigger dream, a bigger vision, and I work alongside everybody else who forms part of the church. I play my part and they play theirs. It's a classic parable of the parts of the body. I am just one and I need everybody else. Everybody else needs everybody else as well. Let's play our part. So find out what it is that God has made you to do. There is a purpose. It's not always easy to find. And once you've found it, is there a way you can serve God doing that? And just maybe there's a way that you can serve God doing that and make some money as you go along. Brilliant. But not always guaranteed. So I may not be an example for loads of people to follow. But for some people, it might spark an idea of, oh, I could do that for God, sacrificially growing the kingdom and do something I love to do as well. For many others, it is where you are doing the job you're doing in the company that you're in with your colleagues. Just keep doing it, but do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. Fantastic. Perhaps for you, as you're listening to this, you're thinking, well, maybe I've never intentionally sat and thought about that or had that conversation from the Lord. I just felt like there was an invitation into that conversation to ask God, what have you made me for? What are you calling me to? And how can I play my part in that in whatever way that looks like? We will be back very shortly with another bonus episode. Simon, what will we be exploring in that bonus episode? Oh, we've decided to tackle the joy of the tax return. Woo! So for some people, this will have no value whatsoever. And for others, they might want to get really stuck in. So one whole episode on 
what is a tax return? How do you fill it in? Why do you fill it in? And a number of top tips as you're going along to make it as smooth and efficient a process as possible. And as someone who has their tax return on their to-do list, I am personally very much looking forward to that episode. And so we will look forward to catching up with you then. And we will be back very shortly after that for season five, which as we mentioned earlier, is going to be all about giving. So if you have questions about that or points you would love to see discussed, we would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at whereyourtreasureis at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or you can drop us a message on Instagram at whereyourtreasureispodcast and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Bex, and we'll speak to you all soon. See you then. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.